One of the most proudest moments was definitely when we managed to launch indoor navigation. And no matter on which a technical news platform, you could see pictures from Zurich instead of pictures from, I don't know, San Francisco airport, etc. In this episode, I'm talking with technology executive and advocate for diversity, Petra Eman, who studied mechanical engineering at ETH Zurich, as well as management science and engineering at Stanford University. This is the We Are ETH podcast, and I'm Susan Kish, your host. Petra, I'm so happy to meet you and was so impressed that you speak not one, not two, not three, but four languages fluently. Now, usually there's a great story behind that. So how do you end up speaking four languages? Oh, thanks for having me, Susan, first of all. It's a pleasure to be here. The story behind it is I grew up in Latin America. Huh. My parents, they wanted to work in a different place, and then they got the offer to go to Bolivia. So we went to Bolivia. I was a small child when I was there. And this is where I then learned Spanish because, yeah, obviously you've got to speak Spanish if you want to get across in the country. And so we lived there. My, we loved uh, living in Latin America. So we extended our stay. My parents extended the contract year by year. And then after the maximum period, we had to return to Germany. So this is one language. Then English at one point, I moved to Stanford. And I had English, obviously, at school before, but that's obviously what honed it even further. And then working at Google for almost nine years did also some extra. Yep. <laughs> Till this day, I prefer writing emails also in English than in German. It's easier. And also there is no do or see, which even for me as a German is, I think it's complicated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then Portuguese came because at one point I went to Brazil. Uh-huh. And I worked at an internet startup in Sao Paulo. So this is how... And German, because that was a language you spoke at home? Exactly, yeah. Uh, My very parents cool. are both Germans. Yeah. Very cool. And did you grow up in La Paz in Bolivia? Yes, yes indeed. So that's every time I arrive there, it feels home when I, I leave the does. airport. Yeah. I bet the it does. Smell, and I bet the, it's beautiful. The scenery. Yeah, it's very typical. Fantastic. So... Just as a question, I understand your father was a physicist and a mathematician. That's right. Did this inspire you in your chosen career down the path around engineering? I think for sure. So whenever I had a question at school, I could get the perfect answer. (laughs) So we talked about it and uh, he was very passionate about it. Um, So that definitely inspired me. And it was, in fact, my two favorite subjects at high school math Mm -hmm. and physics really and then yeah that was like the the one of the reasons why i then decided to study mechanical engineering because it's logical and you can't argue with the facts (laughs) and it's also very tangible right it is it is yeah i did i played uh, piano professionally uh, on competitions and concerts at high school wow and i realized that your very vulnerable to a certain degree and dependent on the jury's opinion. Yeah. Do they like that you're very technical or would they love you to play more emotionally and soft? And, and with passion. Exactly. And so I was quite glad that with mechanical engineering, there's not 
that oh I didn't feel like you write this and that way you should have done this or that so it's a number or it's a result and it's right or it's wrong so <laughs> I enjoyed that one quite a lot I can imagine do you still play I had in my last year I say I had tendonitis ten tendonitis sure tendonitis Ow. yes Ow. and that lasted for 11 months and then after that I just graduated from high school and then I went to ETH and And life went a different path. So, yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. What caused you to think about the ETH? Because I don't hear Switzerland when you talk about Bolivia and La Paz <laughs> and German parents. <laughs> That's true. And in fact, at the beginning, I wanted to go as far away as possible. <laughs> Now, how would made... you define that? You, far away from La Paz oh. or far you, away no, from Constance? Oh, you're in Constance. Yeah, I did Abitur in Constance. And At the beginning, I wanted to go as far away as possible. And then I went <laughs> just around the corner. Now, what brought me there is my cousin who finished almost about the same time with high school. We visited a few universities. So we went to Munich once and we figured out it's a bit disorganized. <laughs> When we arrived there, we realized that the introduction for students is actually not at that site where we went, but it was in downtown that felt a bit disorganized. We also went to Karlsruhe. It's also a very good university. Mm -hmm. And then they had a finite elements modeling of a bra. And the entire audience thought this is super funny, how you see how it goes up and down and how the different parts move. I just thought, okay, that's, that's an interesting one. And then ETH. That's a great story. I'm sorry. <laughs> the older brother of a friend, we she played the cello and I the piano. And so we participated at competitions. Her older brother, he was at ETH. And for one day, we went with him, visited lectures. He was also in some student associations. And I had the impression this is super structured. It has a really good and very tough reputation. And I knew that if I, no matter where I go to, I want to do my best. And so why not choosing the best universities, even if it's right in front of your doors? <laughs> I decided to go to ETH. What difference do you think it made in your career and your choices that you went to the ETH? Because it, it was a conscious path to go there. It was a very conscious path to go there and to get the best engineering education I could get to go through this very structured and rigid program in multiple senses. I think on one hand side, it gave me a very analytical and logical thinking, which is important that to break down big problems and dissect them into small ones, solve them and then have the big problem solved. And especially in, in top management, I think it's important. It also equipped me with a critical thinking to question all the numbers and ask tough questions which is not liked by too many people. But I'm also on the board of directors of a company that is publicly listed. And I think it's crucial to have that skill, dissect that. And I think last but not least, it equipped me with a deep technical understanding that it's tough to catch up with. If you've done that for four years, it is such a solid foundation that at Google, for instance, I was the bridge between business and engineering and product. And... For that, I think it's really good to have such a technical education. Fantastic. Fantastic. And that ability to be the bridge 
it sounds like you translate in languages and you translate in perspectives. Exactly, in terms of all the different requirements that there are for a product, but also what it should solve or what is technically feasible, but then also shining a light on what do the users actually want. And is that what is technically feasible really, is that really moving the needle? Or do users want actually something that is super simple? The Nintendo Wii, for instance, is probably not the technically most sophisticated product, but it was a huge success globally. And so building that bridge and shining lights on different perspectives, that definitely then helps to build a better product. Let's talk a little bit about what you did at Google, right? It's uh -huh. such a big company in Zurich, right? It has such a global presence and a Zurich presence. And you were doing really, what from I could read, really wicked cool, as we would say in Boston, <laughs> wicked cool stuff. Can you talk about what you're proud of from your time at Google? Wow, there there are so many things. It's such a diverse range of products I worked on, from maps to advertising to augmented reality to finance. One of the most proudest moments was definitely when we managed to launch indoor navigation. And no matter on which technical news platform, you could see pictures from Zurich instead of pictures from, I don't know, San Francisco airport, etc. So that one was made me very proud that despite being a global company, we could for once lift Switzerland on the global spotlight. Just to dig into that internal navigation, that means you're in an airport and it tells you what gate you're at, as opposed to you're just at the generic airport. Exactly, for instance, or you're at an airport huh. and you want to know where is the female bathroom or you're at the airport and want to know where is an ATM where I can briefly get some further cash. That is something that we launched at airports, train stations and shopping malls, because those are obviously the public hubs where <laughs> most people are. And what is interesting, most people don't know that 80 to 90% of our time, we actually spend indoors. <laughs> but Maps is predominantly known for outdoor navigation. And indoor navigation definitely helps. Or you're in a shopping mall and you want to quickly know, oh, I still want to buy this and that. And I need to go to that store. That's so cool. And then you stand in front of that map. <laughs> you got to figure out. Oh, that big blow on, on, a, on a pilot where you're going, like, exactly. you are here. You're, you're here. Okay. Good. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> how, do you, get, uh, how do I get to that there? store now? So the technology for that was developed in Zurich? Uh, yeah. So the underlying technology is called VPS. And mm -hmm. that's a team. Actually, which is also should be a proud moment also for ETH. The majority of the team members are from ETH, in fact. Very, very cool. So recently you left Google about a year plus ago. And you mm -hmm. went over to Ringier. And if I understand correctly, you're the chief innovation officer, which is just right. like the world's best title. <laughs> um, the only question it raises is what exactly, what's your mandate? Well, well, that's a very fair question because innovation can be everything, right? Mm -hmm. What innovation means to us is innovation on a product and service level and innovation on a business model level. <laughs> so we want to build new products, new services, or enhance existing ones. What we want to achieve is we want to lift up revenue growth in the long term. Uh -huh. So what we actually want to do is we want to define new business opportunities in media, in marketplaces, in tech and data, hmm. 
that can then generate or that can build the future. So our motto, for instance, I launched an accelerator called Ring EX. Very cool. And our motto is we built the future of tomorrow today. We have that long-term angle that we want to ensure that the businesses is set up for more longevity and it is aligned with what users actually need and demand and we provide solutions to them. Got it. And Ringier, if I recall correctly, it's a relatively old company, but has a hundred plus properties. It's all over true. Europe and South America or I forget where exactly. In Africa, yes, you're absolutely right. For most people, they associate Ringier with Switzerland. Yeah. And actually Blick, Blick for instance, yes, <laughs> Blick is one, Handelszeitung, Beobachter, etc. There are a few titles here in Switzerland, mm-hmm. but Ringier is active in 19 countries. So predominantly in Switzerland, in Eastern Europe. So in the Baltics, Poland, Hungary, Serbia, Romania, Bulgaria. Now I'm forgetting a few probably. And then in <laughs> Africa, yeah. So Nigeria, Kenya, Ghana, but also South Africa. And in Mauritius, we actually have a larger engineering team. I think you really need to visit Mauritius on a regular basis. <laughs> I hear this every once in a while. So yesterday in my team meeting, I, I heard as well, hey, we should do an offsite. <laughs> I think they, they, they need some workshops. <laughs> I think I think in person. No, uh, this virtual uh, Only stuff. in person. Yeah, virtual <laughs> is over now. <laughs> exactly. You talked about how your time at DETH gave you the technical, both foundation and confidence to, to bridge those conversations. In terms of the position you have now, how did ETH prepare you for this, for looking at innovation at a effectively at a media company? I think it equipped me with a bunch of skills that are very helpful. So it's about the structured analytical thinking, um, but it's also about base your work on facts and evidence, then- not merely opinions. And if I just touch upon the latter one, base your work on facts and evidence. Mm-hmm. It's really important that we actually do what really will move the needle. And in order to approach problems in a fact-based way, for instance, in two weeks' time, Ringy X, this is the accelerator that I launched, the C teams will graduate. Uh-huh. And the jury will determine upon whether they may continue or not based on the evidence that they provide. So did they sign a letter of intent? How, what is the click-through rate? How many customers? Or what's the feedback from customers? Yeah, so we'll base the decisions on evidence. And obviously, it's never 100% evidence. You can never dissect it and leave out opinions. But I want to do it my job in such a way that we have the the, the best impact. We don't choose ideas because, oh, people fall in love with it. And it's the favorite idea of, I don't know whom, but because they have the highest potential and because we know the team does the best job possible and they have, they're on track and that team is really behind it and intrinsically motivated. I think that's probably one of the aspects where you figure out, okay, (laughs) it's rather, yeah, I got trained in a very logical and fact-based way and that still shines through. Do you still engage with ETH? Yeah, on various levels, I think. On a personal level, Uh so friends of mine who I got to know at ETH were still in touch and that's very enriching really deep conversations on tech, on life, on society, on the future. 
how, yeah, we're now at an age where we should shape the future and it's our responsibility to ensure things go into the right direction. So on a personal level, but then also on a more professional level, obviously ETH is in, at our doorstep, so to say, from, mm -hmm. from Ringy. And there are some great programs or the AI Center, for instance, or yeah. I'm still in touch with a few other friends who are now professors. And it's interesting to see what <laughs> they're doing and learning on that professional or on that technical level, what they're up to. So that's always enriching to hear. It feels like there are two passion topics, if I can call that. One is around education and inspiring the next generation, and one is around diversity. So one of the things I read on your resume was that you were engaged and on the board for Technorama. Now, for anybody who didn't grow up with little kids in Switzerland, they may not know that Technorama is like the coolest place on a Saturday <laughs> when it rains. My recollection is it's a hands-on science museum that really encourages kids of a pretty wide range of ages to roll up their sleeves and get messy and ask questions and try things. And it's been around since something like the 1940s. It, it's very cool. So how did you get engaged and why did you get engaged? I think my first touch points with the Technorama, they stem back quite a bit. At high school, we did an excursion. And I remember that we could roam around uh, through those hallways and see or do different experiments and see physics or natural sciences and experience that. Mm -hmm. And why I engage there is because looking forward with all the labor shortages that we're facing, we need more people in crucial disciplines. <laughs> and the STEM fields are crucial disciplines. So I hope to contribute to get more girls and boys choose technical studies. I hope that with my work, I can help the Technorama to redesign in a certain way that more young folks will decide, hey, actually, this is really cool what happens in physics or electrical engineering or computer science. I hope we can inspire them to pick and choose one of those subjects. Fantastic. And I have very fond memories of that place. <laughs> Yeah, because so you can experience it too, right? Yes. You not only see it, but you can actually do those experiments yourself. Yeah. And just like role models, it's a way of giving people access, giving them the sense they too can do this, right? That it isn't something locked away in an ivory tower. Yes. Something that people in other countries do. They can do it, regardless exactly. of their gender, their race, Whatever. Exactly. And oftentimes I hear people say, well, I'm not good at math. I can't do this. It's too complicated. I'm not so intelligent. But actually, Technorama is made in a way that you can comprehend it. And it, that's, I think, a very hopeful message that you just need to start engaging with it. And then you'll, you get a sense and how it works. And uh, yeah, it's not that remote as people often pretend it to be. Petra, one of the organizations I read about that you have supported is We Shape Tech. Can you tell us a bit more about who We Shape Tech is and what is their mission? So, sure. We Shape Tech is an association for greater diversity in tech. And our mission is that we bring in more women into tech, but also we retain those women who are in tech that they stay there. 
I'm obviously as an engineer by training, but also if I just look back at my last meetings that I had this week, mm -hmm. there are so many instances where I'm the only woman who sits at the table. Still the only woman. Still, still. And we have the ambition that we want to create a change here. We want to inspire other women that come in. And so at one point, I convinced Iris Bonnet, a Harvard professor. Fabulous. On, she's, she's just the best. She is so friendly, so knowledgeable, so generous. Yeah. And what was the name of her book again? It was uh, called? What Works. What Works. Why did you invite Iris to the board? Or why were you an advocate for adding Iris Bonet? Because, touching upon what I mentioned before, mm -hmm. bringing evidence and facts as one of the things that had, yeah, still probably influenced me from it from ETH. I wanted to have her as somebody who can tell us which initiatives will really move the needle and bringing in the evidence that she and her teams and other researchers actually gathered. And so she, for instance, advised us that we should focus on role models predominantly yeah. because they influence what others will do. So seeing is believing. Uh -huh. And if you see another woman stand up and being the CEO of a startup, or if you see another woman who is director in product management. Head of engineering. Head of engineering, exactly. Uh -huh. That triggers something because at one point you start to identify yourself with that person and think, oh, if she can do it, I should try Maybe it too. Maybe I can. Exactly. <laughs> that's and very cool. That's, yeah, that's what we want to do. I'd love to thank you for your time and to close with some questions we ask most of our guests. Is that okay? Sure. So first off, books. We already talked about Iris Bonet's book, What Works. What else is on your bedstand or on your Kindle or that you re are reading right now? One book that I recently read was Radical Candor from uh -huh. Kim Scott. Obviously, very well written, but also very practical on what you can apply to have frank conversation at work and lead with a certain degree of authenticity. How about podcasts? Do you listen to podcasts very much? I used to listen to podcasts way more than I do right now, but I still do, especially because I think it's great that yeah you can listen to them while you're commuting or while you're in the kitchen or while you're on the bike, etc. Mm -hmm. I love Pivot with Kara Swisher and Scott Galloway. I love the tone that they have. It feels like you're sitting right next to them. <laughs> and it has a very personal touch. I like In-Depth, which mm -hmm. is about startups and uh, learning from successful startup founders, but also startup members on their growth journey. I like Masters of Scale. Oh, yes, with Reid Hoffman. Right. Right. Exactly. When you're living in Zurich and you work so close to the lake... What is your favorite place to hang out if you have a choice? I think for me, the view is always important. Mm -hmm. A place with a view up on a hill on the ETH terrace. That's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> when you were young, when you were growing up in La Paz, what did you want to be when you grew up? Oh, it changed tremendously. I think when I was a teenager, at one point, I decided I wanted to become a pilot. And cool. I'm actually very glad it didn't work out. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't have enjoyed being on the road every day. Having the world, yeah, or visiting the world, that's something, a passion that I still have. 
<laughs> if you had to say what the top three places are you'd like to visit that you haven't been in, lived in, studied in, or grown up in, what would those three places be? I think a, a place that is still missing is definitely Africa. I've been to Morocco, <laughs> but not to many other countries. So I think I heard good things about Namibia. The desert must be amazing. So mm -hmm. I'd love to see that. Tanzania might also be interesting, but rather because I like to go kite surfing on Zanzibar. <laughs> <laughs> and plus, and it has such a great name, Zanzibar. Just yeah. it makes you shiver. It sounds so tropical. And then I think some very remote islands in the Southern Pacific. That sounds just lovely. Just being completely detached and remote for a certain while. Fantastic. Fantastic. Petra, thank you so much again. It's been a pleasure. You're welcome. It was a joy. I'm Susan Kish, host of the We Are ETH series, telling the story of the alumni and friends of the ETH Zurich, the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology in Zurich. ETH regularly ranks amongst the top universities in the world with cutting-edge research, science, and people. The people who were there, the people who are there, and the people who will be there. Please subscribe to this podcast and join us wherever you listen and give us a good rating on Spotify or Apple if you enjoyed today's conversation. I'd like to thank our producers at ETH Circle and LE Media and especially thank you, our listeners, for joining us today. <laughs>